The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can now earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with the Cash Rewards card when you sign up for direct deposit. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Insured by NCUA. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. We have got an awesome guest in store today. How's everybody doing? Good. Blessed and unstoppable. Amen. Oh, hey. That's right. Okay, I think Marcus stole your uh, tagline. Your tagline. Because okay. he says that every hey. day. It's awesome. I'm People so love it. Yeah. They don't, they don't know what to do when you say that. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I heard one the other day, because I, I threw it out. This this young lady asked me, she's like, how you doing? I was like, I'm blessed and unstoppable. Thank you for asking. And she's like, well, I'm blessed and highly favored. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, well, let's kick this thing off with a Patreon question of the day. It's coming from Mac. He asks, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life. Steak. What would it be? Steak. No, Steak. wait, macaroni and cheese. Only one, <laughs> no, right? Damn it. Even. Started overthinking it. Spaghetti. I, I love spaghetti. Pizza. Pizza. Yeah, I mean, well, on a cheat day is pizza, but other time, like you, it's, it's the ribeyes. Oh, I rib have eye? a half and half, clear half and half. It is either going to be, um, like, some sort of Cajun food, like a gumbo and rice, or what my grandparents call rice and gravy, which is not gravy at all. It's just kind of like a stew. It's hard to describe. My Louisiana folks will get that, or queso. Or just queso. Chips and queso. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, if I wanted to live long, it'd probably be ramen, yeah, right? Ramen. You can't go wrong with that. You can, right, right, you can right. do all kinds of stuff with that. Yeah. Oh, pepper jack stuffed boudin balls from Louisiana, too. Oh, oh yeah. So good. Pizza's a good answer, though. Yeah. Because there's different kinds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. What kind of, what is your favorite pizza? Uh, Supreme. I like it all. Just put it all on there. Put it all on there. That's awesome. If hey, you're going to do it, do it big, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Ain't no sense playing with it. Hey, if you want to ask a question to the guests, to the hosts, you can check us out, patreon.com slash teamneverquit. We've got some exclusive access to content that's behind the scenes. We've got a challenge coin. We've got some sweet swag. We've even got the ability to drop a voicemail for the show coming really soon. So make sure you check that out at patreon.com slash teamneverquit. We've got a great guest in store. Dr. Billy Osbrooks is a motivational artist, top-selling author, award-winning poet, his viral inspirational messages have been streamed more than 45 million times. His life-changing book, Blessed and Unstoppable, has been sold in over 30 countries. Billy is a former Billboard recording artist, songwriter, hit music producer, and also the founder of B7U Clothing. Dr. Billy, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. It's an honor to be here, brother. What does that feel uh, like when you, when you hear that about yourself? Uh, surreal sometimes. It's crazy, right? Right. Sometimes. Congratulations. God good is good. God, it's all him. God is good, man. Right? Oh, that's good. Because that's a lifetime of achievements stuck in there, man. Absolutely. Man. Heck of an intro, man. It's good, yeah. <laughs> it is. 
So thank you for coming out here and being a part of this, man. I'm excited. Uh, I, I can't believe we, we lived this close together. I know. You're That's not how I knew about yeah. you. Right, right. And um, so it was, it's good to have you out here, brother. I can't wait to, to hear the, the whole story, if you don't mind. So, yeah, if you don't mind sharing, like, from the beginning, where'd you grow up? Okay. And just tell us kind of your whole... So, let me find out. I'll tell you how I got introduced to you. Okay. Every, every year I go down to uh, Florida to do my physical therapy. They got to put me back together, mind, body, and spirit. And I'm alone up there. The family stays back. It's like a healing deployment for me. Okay. And uh, all, I, all I do is throw on those motivational videos. That's the only thing on the TV. They play constantly, like on YouTube. And uh, you're in a bunch of them that, 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 that aren't yours. Right, right. People put them in. Yeah, stuff. you've been right, stabbed right. into a couple of them. Right. And that's how I, I caught your voice. Right? And... Um, and there's still a few of them on there that I don't know their names, but somehow, some way, man, I, I, your your name popped up. Somebody said it, and then I, but your, they got your last name wrong, so I, I couldn't figure that out either. And I was like, whatever. So I just kept. I mean, this is going on and on. And finally, um, warrior and champion are a good one. I, I always take the the champion word and put Texan in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then it's it's a it's. It is, man. It's it's one of those you've you've reached to a place where you can you hit a chord. Like, I don't care what kind of day I had the day before when I woke up and when I wake up and go out there, man. It's like a reset. The people you impact, man. If you hadn't, if you're not familiar with how far that reach goes, it goes a long way. Man, I appreciate it, man. Well, you're welcome. God so is good. God that's, is good. Uh, that's how I, I I came to know you and to, to finally meet you face to face is awesome. So I'm interested in hearing how we made it this long without ever meeting each other since we grew up around each other, apparently. Well, it's so funny because our kids can probably quote you just off of the music from the YouTube because he has it on so much That's that awesome. I think we all know the words to the YouTubes because it's always played in our house. So That's an over-exaggeration. It's not <laughs> at all. So that is good. I just want you to know that... Uh, He's not blowing smoke at all. He's for sure very inspired by you. I appreciate it. You know, when when you're starting out, I'm sure you you can relate to this. When you start out and you get behind the mic, you don't know who's listening on the other side in the beginning. So it's good to hear that, you know, God was moving and and uh, putting the stuff in the right place, man. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Often, it's like when I hear something, I, I kind of fall into that groove of, let me just type in like what everybody else is listening to. Right. Right, and, and you skip a bunch of songs on a... On a, on a on a whole album because you only listen to the ones, but it's right. the resonance. It's what you're saying. Cause there's a difference between listening and hearing. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? And, right. And, and each one of those were like lighter fluid. It's reverse for me. It's like the, the negative stuff that gets thrown on me. Yeah. That turn, I turn that into a positive now, right. but then it's like the, you, the energy that comes just out of that is a fuel itself. Right. Cause it can be good branch for a good thing. Lighter fluid can be a good thing. Right. Exactly. Even if it comes in as a, as a negative. That's right. Yeah. What the devil meant for home, God will make good. We take we take what the world throws at us and and um, somebody told you it's it. bad, mm -hmm. right, right, right. You know what I'm talking about? Right, that's, right. that's a that's a word that describes something that emotion. But if, right. if you switch it around, it's like no, that's my fuel. That's right. Then 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 absorbs in a good way. That's right. We burn it off. Right. We burn it off with the fire. So so who gave you your faith foundation? Did you grow up with that? I grew up in the church. Um, my mother and father were, were uh, worship leaders and, and led the choir back then. And um, so the time I was little, you know, I was in the church. Which one? Um, I, growing up, it was a Methodist church. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a small town, about 30,000 people. 
uh, Florence, Alabama. Oh, wow. And um, around the 80s, the early 80s, I think I was around eight and a half, nine years old, the recession set in. So um, all the jobs dried up around there. There wasn't much work. So um, my family, we moved to Dallas. So the oil was booming back then in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So my dad got a, got a job out there, and we, we moved to Dallas and stayed in the church there. Um, but then my mother got transferred down to South Florida. And right around my um, high school years, and at that point in time, that's kind of where I went away from the church for a little while. I had to, had to find my way back. That's how it works. Yeah. Do you like mind? when you leave the nest, man, it's like, you, all, I think at that age, we all go first. Right, you know, right. Like, you don't watch me. Let me see what, <laughs> what I got to do. The first 40 years, you're trying to figure out the man you're not. That's right. And it's walking in those other directions. The further you walk, the more you learn. That's right. And they, they raised me right. You know, the word says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he grows old, he will not depart from it. But it says when he grows old. It doesn't mean before, when we're young, we won't depart <laughs> right. from it, right? So I, I learned they that need to, They need to make that, that, that word, you know, bold letter. Right. <laughs> when he grows old, he will not depart from it. So um, I got around my, my high school years, and my mother came to me, and she said, you know, okay, we've raised you right. We put you in the church, you know, right and wrong, but now you got to make the decision. Right, so this is around 13, 14 years old. At this point in time, my heroes have changed. You know, it's not it's, it's not Superman anymore and, and Batman. Now it's the gangsters and the thugs and the, the 90s, drug man. dealers, right? Like people, yeah. people can't understand what that when that happened. That's right. Like that was very impressionable because we were rolling into high school and when hip hop and gangster yeah. rap came out. Because at first it was just the the. The MCs. Right, right, right. And I thought them the dudes party were vibe. terrifying. Right, the party vibe. Yeah. Right? Right. And then when Gangster Rat rolls in there, you're like, what is that? That's right. And it was it a different energy. everything. Mm-hmm. I even, I mean, I was listening to, and I always went to a Christian school, and I was listening to Tupac and Easy mm-hmm. E. And the all dog <laughs> father, man. Right, 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 right. I was listening to all of that. I mean, that was just the era. That was the time we right. grew up in. I was also, at the same time, listening to Alan Jackson. I mean, it just <laughs> we were, depends yeah, same on... Same thing with us. I mean, the, the radios would switch. <laughs> right, right, That was when right. you made the tape, and you flipped the, the uh-huh. summer mix and all that stuff like that, and then you had a little bit of both. And the parties always had that. You always had the mix of all that. That's right. Absolutely. Around that time, though, she said, now the decision is yours. So she would come in on Sunday, you want to go with me to church, and... And I said, I think I'm going to pass today, Mom, you know, because we've been out all night, you know, partying the night before at this point in time. So I, I, took, a, I took a detour, I took a detour. And my sophomore year, I got into music. I uh, was playing, you know, sports, football, baseball, lettering and everything. And we had like a three or four hour break between um, when school got out and the game I had that night. And I went over to a friend's house and he was a DJ, right? He was like the top DJ in the, little, the area. And uh, he had a microphone and music in there. So me and a couple of the guys that went over there to the to the housewood and we would get on the mic and just um, bust a little freestyles and things like that. And we recorded it. Like you said, it was on a tape. We recorded that that little hour and a half session that we went and uh, did. And I went home. I was so happy to hear myself on tape for the first time. I made five copies, went back to school the next day, and I sold all those five copies when, before lunch. At five dollars a piece back then, that was I a big deal. Away. Sold them already a businessman. Right, I mean <laughs> exactly. Right? This is where it started, right there. Because I was at this time, I was getting like ten dollars a week allowance, right? And my mama worked me real hard for chores, like real hard. Ten dollars, we had to earn it ten dollars, right? <laughs> so by lunchtime, I had. You I don't know, know what that. That's like hard work. That yeah, day, right. Yeah, but, but my mama worked hard. They come up with some stuff. That's right. So I, by by lunchtime, I had twenty five dollars, and I'm like doing 
you know, rap and stuff I love. I made twenty five dollars. So by the by the end of the day, I'd already had my plan together. I was going to to, to Walgreens to buy another ten pack of tapes. I was coming back tomorrow, and by the end of the week, I had a hundred something dollars. I was like, wow, you can make money doing those are Jordans you know, back then. Yeah, I was like, you can make money doing what you love. So I from that point on, nobody could hardly tell me anything about um, you know, working a regular job or anything. It was just I'm gonna do that is what a I regular job, right? It's right. Just a regular right, right, right. somebody else. Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, it, when I say regular job, doing something you don't love, just going every day to get paid doing something you don't love, you know. Right. I I get the anticipation because they were like, Well, it's unknown, especially if your parents don't know anything about it. Right, right. I I I could see how that could go. Um, both ways. So I ended up taking the the money that I you know was making from there, going to his house and recording and buying my own equipment, and um, started DJing and doing parties and 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 rapping. And where are you living now? I'm in Orlando now, this, right outside Orlando. No, no, no. no, no. no. When this is this, going this down. was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, or South Florida. This is where it was all jumping off down there. I mean, it I was mean, it was bad. Right. Where I was, we were right in the middle of it. You know, we were right in the middle of that time. We were because that's when uh, yeah. Miami was good at football. It, and that yeah, whole this was, was, was yeah, crazy there. Right, and in the eighties was drug Miami. I mean, it Bro, was where best everything was jumping out off. Of the 80s. That's right, out of Miami. That's right. It was it was pretty pretty wild back then. Um, this is when Two Live Crew. Oh um, was having the controversy right with the with the censorship and all that. Are they the ones that kicked that off? Did that start with them? Pretty the 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 global thing about I, it was you, them. I right. remember like the phenomenon. Right, like, that, hey, that was it. Two the Freedom Crew Speech, has been yeah. ban- uh, banned in the USA, right? Yeah, yeah. God, I, listen I to remember that being a deal, like even with us, because I mean, this was back in tape days. Like our parents would break the tapes mm-hmm. or pull all the right, right. the oh, stuff yeah. out so you can't listen to it. And I was like, but. To me, I never listened to the words. I liked the beat of it. And I'm like, I'm not listening to the words. It's talking about smoking weed and doing all this other yeah. stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I just want to listen to like, it. Ruin it the tape. Good. Like, go do your homework. It's like, let me show you what I can do with this number two pencil. I can put that tape back together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I remember coming home one day. I guess they had one on um, TV and they were... You know, pushing to the parents, like, you know, look at the the music your kids are listening to, right? So I come home one day, and um, there's all these records. I, this time I'm living in a townhome, so we're living, like, next to people on both sides. And I come home, and, then, you know, there's trash out front, right? And there's all these records, out, you know, because I'm a DJ. I got the 12 inches. But I see all these 12-inch records in the trash, but I don't realize it's my trash. I'm thinking it's the neighbors. I'm like, oh, I could get some... Some some of their vinyl. I'm going through it and I see my name on all this stuff. Right. <laughs> my mom had went through and saw all the like the oh funeral advisory goodness. stickers and threw all that stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember like hiding it, going back inside the house with all this like, stuff. Dude's got my name on his records, man. Yeah, she had went through all my lyric books and I had all this stuff, you know, the explicit material um all through the books and you know, that just wasn't gonna fly in her house. She was like, This is not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So I was raised right, but you know, I turned my back on that for a little while. Went through, went through the struggle, and um, something else that was critical at this point in time, from my middle school years all the way to my senior year, my dad was um, struggling with alcohol. He was an alcoholic. You know, um, his his father was a full blown alcoholic. All of his brothers were alcoholics, and my dad, of course, fell right in 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 that line. And now they were all different types of alcoholics. Like my granddaddy, if he had one drop, he was going beat on everybody within a mile, women and children included. Mm. You know, he was a good man, but if he got moonshine, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was it, it was different. Mm-hmm. Now my uncles, they were what we called um functioning alcoholics. 
Like they could, you know, they would get drunk tonight, let's say, but get up and go to, to work tomorrow and still function. Right? It didn't take over their life yet. Now, my daddy, he had a different time. If, if he had one drop of alcohol, he was going to binge for two to three weeks and could not stop. Mm. Like, could not stop. The only way he would stop is, you know, we would hide the keys, hide the money, and basically just kind of lock him down in a room where he couldn't get out for two or three days till he could sober up. Because he would, you know, once he got that one drop, it was just poured in, poured in until he was passed out. He'd wake up five or six hours later and continue to seek to drink. Now, he did this pattern from about the fifth grade, sixth grade, all the way to my senior year. So I was doing the music thing and kind of trying to find an outlet. Get away um, from it. Yeah, to get away a little bit because I can, you know, when the mic came on, I turned in almost to the Superman character. Like I put on this, you know, the cape. Okay, I'm going to get behind this mic and do this this thing that's on the inside of me. So I could kind of tune all that out and just channel it, you know, on the mic, which helped me at that time. It gave me the outlet um, to do it. But, you know, I started going down the, the wrong path right there in, in Fort Lauderdale. So. Did you take after your dad and drink it during that time? Like, think if he's doing um, it, it's okay. I saw so much, you know, negativity and, and the smell of it. Because he would, you know, he, my dad was always fearful he was going to run out. Mm. So here's, what, here's the cycle, what he would do. Okay. He would, he would be sober for two months. And he was a super salesman. Everybody loved my dad. He had a great personality, loyal, showed up on time. Perfect American, right? But he had this vice. Mm -hmm. So he would struggle with trying to be like my uncles. Like he would think, let's say on the way home, he had, let's say he had a bad day or a stressful day. He'd be on the way home and he's like, I'm going to stop and get a beer. Just one. You know, I can drink like my uncle, you know, my brothers. Uh, mm -hmm. I can control it. Just one. So he'd go to the gas station, pull in, go inside. Well... They got to sell on six packs, you know, <laughs> yeah. well. yeah. you know, and then it was like, well, a case, I'll give some to my brothers when they come over. So he would, and next thing you know, by the time we were um, almost home, he had had, you know, three or four or five of them drunk already before we got to the house, mm. you know, and, and he would go through this cycle where it'd be two weeks, three weeks, he was completely incapacitated. You know, so he would start a new job. Two months later, he'd fall off the wagon, do this. And then the employer would start calling the house for me and mom. Like, where's, you know, where's Billy? Where's Billy? And we'd say, well, you know, he's sick. We'd cover for him. Mm -hmm. We'd lie. And, you know, two weeks go by, he'd sober. He'd go back to the new job. Two months later, he'd fall off again. They'd start calling. They realize, okay, he's, you know, he's got a problem or whatever. And they would always be nice. They'd tell like, you know, we really love your daddy or whatever. You know, we want him to be here, but we got to move on. Got to have somebody consistent. Mm -hmm. So my dad did this cycle just just over and over and over and wouldn't stop. And uh, he tried everything. AA, you know, church groups, rehabs, you name it. He just couldn't find that, uh, that wire or hit rock bottom. He hadn't hit rock bottom yet. So all through my middle school years and high school years, I dealt with that. Like I'd go into school. Put that mask on. Like, how's, you know, the teacher said, how you doing, Billy? Great. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing great. I'm broke. On the inside, we've been up all night trying to sober daddy up, you know? So as far as, you know, me drinking, I had seen, like, the the wine on the floor and, and the smell of alcohol and just him, you know, being immersed in that. And I was like, and I want to break the cycle. Mm -hmm. You usually go one or two ways. You either become like them or you go the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And me, I, I was so fed up. I told mama, I was like, I'm never going to drink. Now, of course, I did. 
But it was always in the back of my mind. Like high school people, you know, the peer pressure, like, you know, have a drink, have a drink. And I kind of drink, but I was like, I'm not really into this because I know what this is mm-hmm. for me. And um, so I kind of just, you know, placated people around me, but I never really, really sunk my teeth in yeah. into that. What I did was become the number one promoter of drugs and alcohol. In the music world, with my mouth, see, it's like the enemy couldn't get me um, that way. Then I, I became the promoter of it in my music. I, one, of, one of my top songs back in the day as a rapper was called Pop a Pill. It was number one. And I didn't even do pills. But I was thriving. I'd get paid good. The club money was good. And, you know, this was going on. So I kind of captured what the, um, you know, the music scene and what was going on in the clubs, when, you know, with my writing which was, you know, my God-given gift was the writing and speaking. So I would capture that and put it into my work, and it would work. But I'm working for the enemy. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm in environments that I cannot stand. You know, I'm in a club, everybody drunk, and I'm, I'm like, I just came from home and, and, and would done anything to get out of alcohol, and here I am put myself right back in that same in, environment that I was trying to get away from. So all through middle school and high school, um, that was my life, you know, dealing with him uh, – being an alcoholic and I had so many tragic times and stuff. I remember I'd be on the football field, right? And my dad and I, we really, you know, we were born in Alabama, so it's football all day, Alabama Crimson Tide all day, right? So my dream was to play there at this time. And I'm in high school and I'd see my dad come up in the stands after work and I'm out on the field playing a game and I could look up in the stands and I could say, he's been drinking. I could see it from the field. Like, I'd see my dad's eyes enough to know from way over here he's drinking. And I used to panic because I'm like, you know, when you're in school, it's all about image, right? He's up there talking to the parents, and they're going to figure out that he's a drunk, and then it's going to get to the kids, and, you know, I'm going to take the brunt of it. So the whole game, my whole attention is on on the stands up there, you know, stuff like that. And I remember uh, growing up, too, one thing me and my dad did together um, was martial arts, karate. Around um, five years old, I started doing martial arts when he, when he signed up. So from five to, to nine, we, we trained hard. And at nine years old, I got my black belt. And I started competing all around the, the country. I won the Texas State Championship four times in my division, national championship, uh, junior Olympic team, trained with the Olympic team. This is what we did together. And I remember one time I was teaching a class. I was like 11 years old teaching a class. Um, you know, having the, you know, the state champion, all that people would come wanting to, to learn. So I was teaching a class and my dad had dropped me off and left, which was strange for me. Normally he was always there. Like if he was sober, he would have never left. He would have been there at the, the class, but he left and it kind of like gave me sufficient, like where, you know, where's he going? About 30 minutes later, and I don't, I don't know exactly what happened, but he comes stumbling in through the door at the karate center. He had gotten drunk fell somewhere, busted his head, had blood running all down his head, coming in the door. And I've got all these students and kids in there, and I'm just embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my God, how do I get out of here? So I just, you know, bowed out real quick, got my dad as quick as I could out of that place to the car. And now I'm stuck because I'm still in the parking lot, and everybody's looking outside to see, you know, like, what's going on here? I'm 11 years old, and I don't, I don't really know, you know, how to handle the situation. I just want to get out of there as quick as possible. Now, my dad's incoherent, drunk, blood coming down. I just want to get out of here. So 
I get in his lap. I'm like, we've got to drive out of here. I can't, like, people going to come outside and going to see us, right? Like, that was my biggest fear. So I got in a lap. He kind of pushed the gas and, and the, the brake, and I drove that thing 30 minutes from the other side of Mesquite oh all the way gosh. to Garland during rush hour traffic in his lap. And he would be, like, you know, halfway passing out like this with his foot on the gas. And I'm like, Dad, wake up, wake up. And he'd hit the brake. And we oh did this God. all the way home during rush hour traffic, all the way to the apartments there in um, Garland. And then when I got home, of course, it's, it's that time where everybody's out front of the apartment playing, all the kids, right? And I'm thinking, how am I going to get my dad from this, this van that we're in upstairs on the second floor of the apartment with all these kids out front? So as soon as we pulled up, all the kids run up to the car. Billy's on. They come to hang out, and my dad is lit. At this point in time, he's passed out. He passed out in the seat, like was out. There was no waking him up, nothing. He, he was out like this. I'm sitting in his lap covered with blood on my karate uniform. Oh all these kids out there, and I'm like, oh, my God. So I run upstairs, and I tell my mom, and you saw my mom. She's five foot one. She's not that big. She comes down, and me and her have to lift my dad, who's about 5'11". 200 pounds. We got to get him up the step in front of all these kids. So that was like my life. This is the kind of thing that we would do, mm-hmm. you know, every two months. This was this was the thing. Well, the good thing is you in your karate uniform. So if your buddies ask, like, right, 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 right. line, I had right. to... <laughs> I was learning how to fight for real. Like this is what right. real life was going to yeah, be yeah. like. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to be in a controlled environment um, like it was in, in in the dojo. Man, it was. This is where life was going to be, yeah. and to learn to fight, the, you know, the hard way. So, you know, alcohol Road and drugs had a different meaning to me, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. And that's so hard for a kid, too, just to always feel like you're walking on eggshells. Yeah. You don't know when. Right. Because really that alcohol is just a door for the devil to come out. Right, you don't right. know how he's going to act. You don't know if he's going to embarrass you. Right, or, exactly. Because it's not really him. Right. And it was always a like ticking time bomb because we never knew when he was going to do this. Mm-hmm. So I was always on guard looking at his eyes. Has he been drinking? Is he, even when everything was good, that still was on my mind. Mm-hmm. And later on in life, he... he uh, found sobriety in the last 15 years he went out and helped others but even during that 15 years what I really regret most because he's no longer here and I'll tell you a little bit about that story but even 15 years later I was scared to really say you know I'm proud of you that you've done this because I was scared if I said something he'd fall off or, or relapse and that I might do, trigger something and even like you know 10 12 years later I'm still looking at the eyes when he gets up like a, you know <laughs> it is this gonna be the day where it all like you know comes up you know the, the rugs pulled out under me again mm-hmm. you know so I, you know I, I, that was the way that um I grew up so alcohol had a little different different meaning there was one time um there was a turning point too my mother we were in in Dallas at that time my mother had got transferred down to Florida going into my sophomore year. So we had two weeks to go to Florida, find a place, and then move everything from, from Dallas down there. So like the day before we we're supposed to leave to Florida to go find the apartment, my dad falls off the wagon, pulls the drunk. So we know he's no good because it's two weeks. When he takes a drop, it's two weeks. You can just wipe that off the calendar. He's going to be no good. So my mom's like, we got to go anyway. Cause we gotta find this place. I can't lose this job, and and we've gotta go. So she told my my uncle, you know, check in on Billy, cause he's been drinking again. So we flew to Florida. Well, a couple of days later, my uncle calls and he's like, "Well, y'all gotta rush back here right now. Billy's in the hospital, and they're not sure he's gonna make it." Well, my dad. What had happened with my dad was, you know, he couldn't find alcohol while we were gone, 
He didn't have a way to get anywhere, so he drank a full bottle of rubbing alcohol. Oh my god! Full gosh. bottle. Took it up, right? Yeah, because for some reason later on he told me he didn't remember drinking it, but he said you know that my my grandfather would with the moonshine on they would pour that through bread or something and filter it out so that you could drink it. But whatever reason he drank the full bottle, and when my uncle found him, he was non-responsive on the floor, blood everywhere, like oh he had thrown up and toxic. Yeah, and they thought he was gonna die. They were like, "There's no way he's ever gonna make it back." Forty-four days, my dad was on dialysis, and they said, "Well, he's never gonna walk. Like, you know, he'll be able to live, but not walk." And by each step, my dad made it, you know, come, you know, made it out of that situation and got sober. And about nine months later, he came to Florida where me and my mom were. A couple weeks later, fell right back off the wagon again. So that that was my whole middle school and in high school years. It was just going through that cycle. That's hard. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, it was crazy, and but it made sure. It, it one thing it did, it made sure that I never touched that stuff, mm-hmm. ever, or at least got into that world that he was in. So yeah. that was the the, the turning that's point. That's a different realm altogether. Yeah. When I'm, when you're hustling for like rubbing alcohol. Yeah. That's that was tough, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until my senior year because my mother had tried everything. My senior year, finally. Um, she didn't know what else to do. She filed divorce in my senior year. But the craziest thing, that was the last day my daddy ever drank. Really? The last day. That's From the took. last 15 and a half years, he got sober. Then he started going um, to the jails, the prisons, and starting the A groups and helping people get off alcohol and addiction just like he had done. Aww. So the last 15 years, um, that was his life. And the last conversation that I had with him um, where he was – coherent the last conversation he was trying to get me to go into the jails with him and speak to the guys in jail now at this point i'm still in the rap you know the rap world and i'm like we trying to stay out of jail like i'm not going to jail i'm like that i hear you there but i'm not trying to go in there you know so but he was always um picking on me he he was like man i can't get anybody to go in there with me he's like everybody that would go into jail to speak to these guys got criminal records and they won't let in there to speak and he said and the ones that can like like me just wouldn't 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 go in there yeah that was the last conversation prison ministry until um there's a a museum in washington dc called the bible museum yeah and they have a whole exhibit on prison ministry and i went with my cousin she grew up as a, a mission kid her parents took her all over the world doing mission work and she said that her parents did a lot of prison ministry all over the world and I didn't even I I'm super close with her and I never knew that and I never even knew that that was a thing and ever since then I've heard a lot about it and how it's actually changing people's lives and they can when they do get out they have a new direction right it's pretty amazing so your dad probably helped oh yeah he saw me in that direction he saw me in that direction too and um it's kind of crazy because now I'll go into those places now, and I'm thinking, well, and Dad never got to see this because I wasn't doing right. this when when he was alive. Matter of fact, a big prison in um, Florida, federal prison, the biggest one in Florida, 
I spoke at and they reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and they worked it out with the warden to pipe in the motivation. There's motivation on Monday now and they're piping into every single sale on oh, Monday, wow. the, the videos. So, man, I was I was like, man, God, you know, God is good. It's kind of crazy. I went from, you know, not wanting to go in there to now <laughs> I'm in there. You know what I mean? Flip it around. You look at it like it's a house. Yeah. That's a house that is occupied, right? That's right. And it's only dangerous if you're not dangerous enough to be in there. That's right. And one of my favorite lines is, I walk with the power of God, I will mess you up. That's right. right. <laughs> so when you That's get right. in there. <laughs> That's right. When you walk in there, it's, it's you know, respect the house. Right, right. The message is just a lot of people. I wasn't really worried about the people in there, to be honest. I was worried about them not letting me back out. Back out? <laughs> You know, hey, like the people there, in there. Walls, when, that, when that door shuts, it's yeah. like, whoa. Like, I remember, like, about a year and a half ago before COVID, um, I had been asked to speak over there. So I, I went over to the one in Florida, and, and I knew so many in there. They, there were a bunch of rappers that I had produced for, and they were like, oh, I've been in here six years. What are you doing in here? And, you know, so-and-so I seen from high school. Like, you know, and, and half the people had had been listening to me when I was in the rap world. They didn't really know that I had made the change, but they knew me from the old life. So... Um, that was kind of instant rapport with them going in there. Those guys, they're not just going to take it from anybody. You know, they got to know some, you know, somebody that's been that's point, in man. the world. But we're in. Yeah. But 2007, my life changed. You know, I was in the music business um, from that sophomore year all the way to my um, dad died, which was the end of, end of 2007. And I chased that, that music world aggressively. That 120 beast mode I talk about now, I was 120 beast mode in in the the enemy's work, you know, using my mouth for destruction and, um, you know, just tearing up, tearing up the clubs and stuff, doing the negativity, and um, I was successful at it, very successful. I had songs on Billboard, produced for multi gold and platinum mags, had my own radio show, but there was still an emptiness though. On the inside, the world tells us, you know, if, if you get the cars, you get the house, you get the money, you get the women, like, then it'll all quiet. Like, the inside voice will, you know, quiet. But it didn't. It just got bigger and that bigger. That just makes more noise. Yeah, it just got bigger. And it, and it kept me from really dealing with the problems on the inside. You know, in the music world that I come from, there's big entourages. Like, we had a big entourage. And, and looking back at it, I understand why I had that big entourage. That way I was never alone. And I never had to deal with anything on the inside. I always had a reason not to deal with it because people were around me. And I knew most of the people around me weren't really there for me. You know, they, they, they weren't there for me. They were there for what I was doing and, you know, what that meant. Yeah. My phone would ring 70, 80 times a day. You know, what time are we going to the club? Can you put me on the VIP list? Can I ride in a limo? Things like that. And I really didn't mind because it just assured me that I was never, never alone. But to make the progress, sometimes we got to deal with the hard stuff. Right. In 2007, I get a call in the middle of the night. My uncle calls and he's like, you know, your daddy's had a stroke and it's not looking good. You need to get up to to Alabama right away. So 12 days later, my dad at this point had been getting better coming out of the stroke. And I thought I was actually going to get him out of the hospital. But I go in on a Sunday to see him. And the doctor comes in. He's like, look, your dad's doing better. We think we're going to get him out of here. But what we've got to do today is get him out of the bed, into the wheelchair, and roll him outside to get some sunlight. Because he's been in bed 12 days. The longer he stays in his bed with the stroke, the less likely he's going to get out. So me and the nurse grabbed my dad out of the bed, lifted him up, put him in the wheelchair. And that's when my life changed. We didn't know it at the time, and nobody knew it. But from him sitting there 12 days, he had a blood clot in his leg. 
So as soon as we moved him, Man, the blood pressure changed, killed him, dead. dislodged, and it went right to his lungs. He started struggling breathing. Ten minutes later, he's gone. And, and I saw him. it all. Yeah, I saw it all. I'm sitting right there. The transition, the eyes, everything. Watched him struggle to breathe. And that was too much because I'm thinking, you know, I go in on a Sunday, a beautiful day. I'm like, okay, my dad's getting I'm trying to keep the positive mindset that they had raised me with. Because both him and um, my mom, even though my dad had struggles, when, when he was sober, that's all we spoke was positivity. And it seemed, con you know, run, run uh, contradiction with him struggling with the alcohol. But when he was sober, it was straight positivity. Champion, I'm a winner. You know, we don't lose. Losing is not an option. That, that was the house I came from. No matter what you do, we, we, we the champion. So to go through this and see my dad like that and, and watch him just pass away right in front of me and not be able to do anything. It was it was life changing. It was traumatic. You know, um two days later, I got sent on this journey to do what I'm doing today. You know, my my ministry, my 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 motivational artist career started um at the funeral home. Of all places. Funeral home. I, I never would, would think that would be where everything started for me, but that's where it started. So I go to a funeral home um that my, my grandmother had set up um, for the burial arrangements, and we go in and sit in front of the table in a funeral director. He says, you know, your grandmother's bought four burial plots for the family, and I want to show you where we're going to lay your daddy. So we walk outside to the to the lots, and at this point in time, my granddaddy's already gone in his 80s. He, he passed away. My grandmother's still living. So we're sitting out there, and he's like, here's your granddaddy. God rest his soul. Here's where your grandmother will go. When, when she transpires, here's where we're going to bury your daddy. And on this fourth plot, here's where you're going to lay. Oh. He said it just like that. Here's where you're going to lay. And, man, I, I, if there's ever been some words that hit me like a ball bat on the inside, I, you know, I'm, I'm a rapper, artist, poet, so words mean a lot. I've never felt the words like that man when he said, here's where you're going to lay. Cause I knew what it meant now, like seeing you know my dad transpire the way he did and, and, and pass on the way he did when he said, "Here's where you gonna lay." I knew what that meant. Now it's crazy thing about it being in, in, in the gangster world. I was from the thug life. I had already buried probably twenty something friends between shootings, ODs, car wrecks, all different kinds of things. But for some reason, I had compartmentalized that like we do. Like, oh, that it's really bad what happened to so-and-so, but that won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. Right? We, we put that cape on. You know, we, we big bad gangster rappers, but that's not going to happen to us. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, in the world I'm from, there's two movies that represent that whole way of life. Godfather and Scarface. Scarface. Right? But Scarface, we, we love that movie up to the intermission. And that's it. Like, where he's counting the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ding! And it said the world is yours. Yeah. And then we hit, we, we start and start the movie over because we don't want to go to the ending. The ending is where he's dying in the pool. We don't want to talk about that part of it. So that's kind of the, the the lifestyle I was living. And this man had just rocked me. He said, "Here's where you gonna lay," and I couldn't I couldn't run from it. So we walked from there back into his his office. It was like God was teaching me a lesson right here. This is where like the message had started to to unfold and and him to teach me to send me on his calling. So I get back into the, the funeral home and the guy slides two pieces of paper across the table from me that changed me. He said, on this piece of paper, on this one, I need you to t take two to three sentences, 
sum up your daddy's whole life in two to three sentences for the headstone. And then on this piece of paper, I need you to sum up your daddy's life in two to three paragraphs because we're going to put this in the newspaper, the obituary. Now I'm thinking, okay, two to three sentences. How do you sum up a man's whole life up in two to three sentences, right? And then how do I do it in the paragraphs? What would my daddy want me to say, right? And as I was thinking that, my mind was still at the gravesite. Here's where you going to lay. Here's where you going to lay. Here's where you going to lay, right? That just kept cycling. And then I put two and two together. I'm like, I'm not the smartest, you know, bulb on the tree. But if here's where I'm going to lay and I'm doing this for my dad with the obituary and, and the headstone, sooner or later, somebody's going to be doing this about me. Right. And I was like, OK, if I was to die right now, what would they put on these two? And I didn't like the answer. Depends on how you get in there, too. huh? Right. Right. <laughs> right. But I didn't like the answer. Like, that was really where I started had to, you know, I was alone here in this moment. Remember yeah. I told you in the entourage, I had cover. Like, I didn't have to deal with this stuff. Now it's just me and the funeral director. Ain't no, ain't no running. It's like, now, if this is your life right now, if you died right now, what would you put on this? And what would go in this? And I thought about it. I was like, here lies a man that, you know, would run over anybody and any, do anything to get that next dollar. That's all that mattered. Success, didn't care about anybody. It was only, could you help me? Can you help me get the next dollar? Or help me get to the next level? Or how do I get this next show? You know what I mean? Like, th this was my mindset. I really didn't care at all. Mm -hmm. In that world, you just kind of become numb. I'd been hurt so many times growing up. I just shut the walls down emotionally and said, it's all about me now. Nobody cares anyway. I'm put this wall up, and I'm just going to go get mine. And then they'll have to respect me. They'll listen to me, whatever, you know, that we think we're going to get from that that lifestyle that we we never get. But this man just said, here's where you're going to lay. And I, I had to address it. And I said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do for here, but I know something's got to change. And then two days later, the next part of the lesson happened. I'm at the wake and people are beginning to come up and talk about my daddy. And I got to see what he had been doing the last 15 years of his life when he was helping people. He never talked about what he did when he helped people. He would just say, I'm going to help a friend. Like the phone ring at 1 o'clock at night, he'd say, I got to go help a friend. You know, my daddy was a good man, so we didn't worry about him doing anything shady. So we knew he was going to help somebody in the program. But he never mentioned anything else about it. But when I met the, at the wake, I began to find out what really my daddy had been doing. So the first guy comes up and he's like, you know, your daddy came and got me on the side of the road. I was drunk. I had two strikes already. And he came and got me on the side of the road. The cop was going to take me to jail if your daddy didn't come get me. So your daddy came and got me and helped me out. And I've been sober three years now because of your daddy. Another one came up and said, you know, I was in jail. They were throwing away the key on me. My family had given up on me. Nobody would talk to me. Nobody would even take my phone call. Your daddy came and bailed me out with his own money at 4 in the morning. Right? Another, a, a couple came up. And they said, we were at the kitchen table about to file divorce, and your daddy said, don't do it. And we've been married 10 years since, right? Now, I'm sitting up there, and I'm listening to all this, and it's not what I'm hearing that's bothering me. It's what I'm not hearing. Like, I'm not hearing any of them people, when they come up and say something about my daddy, talk about one thing that I'm chasing in my life right now. I'm getting up every day, living and dying for the next dollar, the next this, the next that, and nobody's talking about that at the end. They're not up there saying, well, man, your daddy sure could make it rain. Like, you know what I mean? Or he had a nice Rolex. Or look at your daddy's rims. Like, nobody was talking about the stuff that I'm getting up every day. And I'm like, you know, dodging bullets to get this stuff. Yeah. 
And I'm like, oh, that stuff doesn't mean anything. You know, and, and I realized, you know, at that point in time, like, I had it all wrong. And I realized life was about legacy. And our only purpose to be here really is to leave this place better than we found it. I realized that right there. Now, God's not against us having things and owning nice things, but he's against those things owning us. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, that stuff on me, that lifestyle on me, that illusion that, you know, I, I would have peace and, and um, fulfillment through that world. And I made a vow right then. I'm like, I'm going to change this. I don't know how. Like, I, I hadn't got to that part yet, but I realized, like, okay, stuff has got it. That's why I hit my rock bottom. I was like, okay, enough is enough. Draw, draw the line right here. I'm going to make a difference somehow. I don't know what I'm going to do. At this point in time, I, I hadn't learned that you could say positive stuff on the mic. Yeah. For some reason, like, when I saw people on the mic, I knew it one way. It was gangster, and that was it. Like, that was the only thing you could say on the mic. I didn't realize you could somebody get Somebody having a problem doing yeah. something, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize you could get on here and say something positive to somebody right. and so live. I just thought when you got and it on works. here. Yeah, you know. And it works. <laughs> exactly. I, I, for some reason, that just did not click. So from that point on, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting out of music. Uh, you know, I'm retiring, and I'm going to do what God tells me. I don't know what that is. I don't know how that is. But I'm gonna do it from this point forward. I think that's the thing with a lot of the guys, the guys coming up in the rap game, is that that if they don't sing about anything negative, then no one will listen to them. Right. That's what they, they told us. It, they said nobody will want to listen to that positive a, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Nobody will pay you for that. Nobody's gonna do and that. We listen to this music for positivity, right. we, so we only listen to this for bad stuff. That, that's right. That's horrible, right? That's what I, I bought into that lie. Man, I've been ten times more successful since I left that world, but the enemy had me caught in that lie, yeah. thinking I couldn't do positivity. And it's the world is so upside down too. Is it's like we don't have any problem paying a hundred dollars to go see, you know, a person like me back in the day, a gangster rapper talking about crack and cocaine and shooting our neighbor and everything else. We don't have any problem paying a hundred dollars for that. But somebody doing something positive for it, we would have a problem. Like they supposed to do that for free. Like it doesn't make no sense. <laughs> it doesn't make no sense. The world is completely upside down. You the complain? You paying to hear somebody complain to you? Yeah. Well, that's the enemy at work. I wonder exactly. you're in a bad mood all the time. Exactly. You know, I heard somebody complaining the other day about, you know, um, some guy I look up to. I don't want to mention names, but they were complaining because this guy, you know, had a had a Ferrari or something. They were like, oh, he's supposed to be broke. You know, he's helping people. And I'm like, y'all didn't have any problem paying $100 to these rappers, man, uh, to say the, the garbage and destroy communities. But you got a problem with this man going out there and sowing his life every day and sowing life over the world. Something's wrong with that. We got the these are the ones that should be rewarded, the ones that yeah. are helping and, and making the world a better place, not the ones that are tearing it down. We need to talk about that too. It's like what if you the guy you saw in the big house with the Ferrari, he had that because of how wonderful he was to his people. Right. They, they right. He's so valued. Yeah. There's you no know? money. Right, you got right. rewarded for how good right. you were. Exactly. And you, and you see people driving around like he must be a solid dude. Exactly. They, they gave him that car. It, it, the enemy has it has the world you know turned upside down by design. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, that lie kept me in bondage. You know, for 17 years I thought, well, you know, because I started to change. I actually started um, diving into books around let's see, 2000. Right in the middle of, of my music, I started really diving into books and studying philosophy and the mindset and, you know, about champions and greatness. So then I started um, having a tug of war going on in the inside. Like all day I'm reading some of the, you know, I'd be in a bookstore all day. I started just doing this habit two, three days, you know, two, three hours a day. I'd be in there taking notes, reading this, this, this um, positive stuff that I had gravitated toward. And at nighttime, 
I'm in the club saying the complete opposite of what I just read. So when I get to about 2005 and six, I had this this war going on inside. I was like, I don't even believe these words I'm saying anymore, but this is my lifestyle and, and, the, and this is the way I'm getting my money. But I don't believe the words anymore that I'm saying. Well, you started hearing them. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference. Right. Once you have some truth in you, <laughs> you can't you know be the it, same. Yeah, you don't you, say that other stuff. Exactly. It hurts, it hurts you to say it. Exactly. Not hurts somebody else. It hurts you to say it. Exactly. It, it it just I was in at war with myself at that point in time. So I mean, even before my dad died, I could see now looking back, God was already preparing me for the the, the mission and the calling. I just didn't see it. And from that that weight forward, I knew I needed to 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 make a change. But before we make a change or before we step in the calling, there's always gonna be warfare. Right. The enemy knows now. OK, like when I was working for him, the enemy, like, to be honest, the enemy really didn't attack me much when I was doing the negativity because it was like I was working for him, like stay away from him. He's working for me. But the moment I said, no, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going I'm to step into what God's called me to do. I'm going to pursue this greatness. I'm going to do, you know, um, uh, positive things for the world. That's when the war really jumped off, because then I now I become a threat to him. So he's got to attack what he fears. Right. The enemy only attacks that which he fears. Right. So I started can't live in it. Right. I started getting attacked the moment my dad died in front of me in the in the the emergency room. I had my first full blown panic attack when he died. I thought like when the doctor came in and said, finally, like I'd already seen him die in, in the room. But the doctors had rushed me out trying to resuscitate him, but I already knew the answer. But a few minutes later, they came into the emergency room and said, we got bad news for you. You know, your dad is gone. And when they told me that, I had my first full-blown panic attack. I literally fell on the floor, and I thought I was going to die. I remember in my mind saying, my grandmother's about to lose me and my daddy on the same day. Like, I, I'm, I, my mind was playing tricks on me, thinking I was going to die. And from that point forward, for the next seven years, panic attacks, PTSD, anxiety, um, the debilitating desire, um, anxiety took over my life. Like I started having one panic attack a day, two panic attacks a day, four panic attacks a day to, to the whole day having a panic attack or expecting to have one. You know, it's like my mind was trying to protect me from what it had seen with my daddy. And here's where I'm going to lay. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, OK, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to struggle breathing and and I'm going to you know have a stroke and have a heart attack just like my daddy did. So anytime I would get like a twitch on my arm or just, you know, normal, normal stuff. Boom, my mind would, would trigger that panic. Like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And it would be so frightening on the inside, um, taking over my mind, that I'd run to the hospital. I ran to the hospital like 12 times in nine months thinking I was going to die. You know, I had said my last words 30-something times, like thinking I'm going to die. Just like my dad. My dad tried to say a few last words when he was dying. So when I thought I was dying, I turned to whoever's with me. Hey, I'm sorry. I love y'all. You know, and I'm thinking I'm literally that's where I'm at. Thirty something times I thought this was it. So, you know, I, life had a new perspective after that. You know, I I gotten up every day and took breathing for granted. 
We don't think about breathing. You get up and you just breathe. But now every breath, you know, meant something mm -hmm. to me. And But the panic attacks and the PTSD began to close in. I went from being on stage rapping in front of 20,000 people to being locked up in the corner in my bedroom for two weeks at a time. Like, I don't know if you ever seen that movie Aviator mm -hmm. about Howard Hughes. You remember how yeah. he locks himself up in the room? That was me right there. Not, not the milk, milk cans, but that was me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was me. Like, stay here. Don't leave. Because, you know, when you have panic attacks, I never control when I had them. They would just, you know, so, let's say you were talking about, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? They died. Boom. My mind, you know, five minutes from now, it would trigger. And I'd have that panic attack, you know, because it heard something that scared it. And I didn't control when I had it. Like, I'd be in the Walmart line, have the panic attack, had to rush home. I'd be at Chili's, about to order food with my wife, boom, had the panic attack, had to rush home. So like what is that? Is that your body, your brain walking without your body? It you know, the, exposed yeah, or something? It, it was trying to protect me, right? It was trying to protect me, but I had no control, and I couldn't shut it off and say, look, I'm fine. Like, it was trying to protect me, but my mind just would not settle down. I'd be in the back of the church. I'd always sit in the back row of the church because I'd have a panic attack, and I'd need to get out and to go to the bathroom or whatever, try to get out of the, the, the church. So it, it, it was straight warfare for the next seven years. And that's what I learned, you know, wherever you can grow, thrive, or multiply, the enemy is going to attack. There's going to be warfare over that position. And the greater the resistance, the greater the destiny. Yeah. So the more he was coming at me, I didn't realize this, the more he was coming at me was because he knew what God was about to do mm -hmm. to send me out here. And, and, and that turns lives. out into ammunition and fuel for yourself. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the, when you get that gift. Exactly. It's like when you when that's hard stuff coming down on you, you're like, oh well, then there's something on the backside of it here. Right. So the harder you hit me, the the more powerful you make me. Exactly. Now it didn't start out that way. Now, no, I had, no, no, no. I, I had to learn. Yeah, you know, you, you learn, learn to fight. Yeah, yeah you learn as you sure. go on. Like through those years, I learned. Like in the beginning, it was I was just taking all the punches. But as it, you know, as I began to you know learn how to manage the the, the, the taxes that came, I began to get stronger. Yeah. And really, punches, it helps me you know, now. Fighter, more punches you take stronger fighter yeah exactly the more weight you lift the stronger you get right pressure on the outside and the life that when life puts its pressure on you you don't ever get battle weakened you get battle hardened that's right but you can get weak in the battle don't get me wrong i've been whips bad i'm on my face begging right. for mercy right that's that's the true fact right. but don't let me stand back up because when that happens it's locked it's in. on yeah, right, right? That's it's when on that, that's when you feel it, you're like <laughs> it was on and did you have somebody coaching you out of it I tried everything because it was horrific. Like, I mean, it was like, I'm, like it was for horrific. So um, first thing I did after I buried my dad, two weeks later, um, I came back to Florida. And that week I went back to church for the first time in 25 something years. Um, you know, got rebaptized. You know, every time they opened the doors of the church, I was there. You know, and I was, to be honest, I was broke. I was broken to a million pieces, I felt like, on the inside. And I, I, and I also felt like at that moment that my dad died, the mic got ripped away from me. Like, I'd been speaking when I had troubles. Like, when I was telling you with my dad growing up, that was my go-to. My outlet was the mic. Good or bad, what I was saying, it was still my outlet. I felt like when he died, the mic was ripped, and I also didn't see the mic the same way, so I didn't have an outlet anymore to fight back. This is the only way I knew how to fight back in the old days. How do I do it now? And I struggled those seven years trying to find that way. Like you say, how do I hit? You know, how do I hit something in here? In martial arts, I was trained to hit an external opponent, but I, I wasn't really trained to how to go inside and fight me. Like That's how the to body. You know, yeah, you like spend the first part training 
the, there are people down here to do that. It's separated. So right. people spend their whole life training their mind. Right. It's, people spend their whole life training their body. Right. But both of those ways train the other one. Right. Right. Now, and then once they, you level up, that's when your spirit gets dropped in because they have to work. They work together. They're, they're independent. That's right. The heart's different, separate. The tongue is separate from everything else. Kind of like it has its own deal. That's why the most powerful thing is when that word comes out. Because when it's grinding in here, that's one thing. The minute you spit it out, then it becomes real. That's right. And death you notice and, the pressure leaves, too. Death and life and the power of the tongue. Marcus grew up doing karate, too. I don't okay. know if you knew that about him. I didn't but know he, that. Yeah, he also grew up in the dojo. And um, That's what's so important about the pass down. Mm-hmm. And you got to think way back in the day, the way all this stuff got confusing is because somebody died or somebody didn't take the time right. to pass it down. That's right. And the most dangerous thing down here is an undisciplined human mind. You put that in a Amen. child, and a child that can grow into something terrifying, mm-hmm. well, then that's obviously where a break had to happen generations back. One right. of them didn't get trained up. That's right. And then came up with his own idea and then imposed it through the physical will. But the body and the spirit and everything around here has its own way of saying, okay, if we're going to do it this way, the hard way, then we'll still get it done. Because we'll only kill each other so far to you realize, you know what, man, that hurts. Let's do it this way. Right. It right. fixes itself. Right. We can willfully do it, or you can just sit there and take it till it till she'll correct it. You know, Mother Earth and God. And it's kind of. I remember having a rude awakening um, when I got down to South Florida, like the first month I was there. As we mentioned about martial arts, me and my dad have been training for years, and you know, trained in all this controlled environment. You know, like back then we had the, you know, the, the 20 by 20 ring or whatever it was. Oh, that's a big difference when you get uh, yeah, road testing. Uh, yeah. 100%. I, I'm in that ring, you know, when we train every day and, and it's like your opponent be on that side. I'm over here, referee over here. And he's like, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, one, two, three. And then we, we, we would spar, right? Like in, in a controlled environment. When I got to Miami for a lot of them, I'm walking through the mall one day and I find out that's not how the real world works. Down there is gangs and, and a whole nother, nother world that I knew nothing about. And I'm walking through the mall. Within the first month I'm there, and, and all of a sudden I just get blindsided. Boom. Like I'm 14 years old or whatever, and I just get you know, swung on by a 20-something-year-old gangster. They thought I was in some other gang. I wasn't, but I just happened to be wearing a certain shirt or colors. And I hadn't been there long enough not to know, you know that I shouldn't wear it. And I'm looking up from the bottom of the floor of the mall, saying, what just happened? And I went back to my dad. I was like, we got to train different. Like, I, you know, he didn't say, hold on, are you ready? One, two, three, before he swung at me. He just swung at me, right? Like, that's not how we've been training. So, and, and with this situation with my daddy, it was the same way. Life is going along. Everything is, you know, so-called good and safe and comfortable. And boom, life hits me with a brick. And now I've got to figure out how to get up off the mat. And I had went to every counselor, therapist, psychologist, doctor, pastor, grief share, Christian counselor in my city. I had went to six or seven therapists from Harvard and Yale to the local community college and nothing worked. Nothing worked. Nothing could get my mind to just calm down. Nothing could do it. And I basically, the, over that seven-year period, lost everything that I had put up in the music business. Like, I had businesses everywhere um, through the city and, and stuff put up from the music, you know, money put up. But every day, it was like my money was getting a little bit less because I couldn't really work. I wasn't in the clubs anymore. I couldn't even go into my businesses and, and watch them. I'd go in for one hour, have a panic attack at, at, in, the, in the store, and have to run back home. So 
I, I did everything I knew how to do to get better, but some it just was not clicking. You know, no matter what they said, I just didn't feel like I connected with the therapist. You know, I, you know, feel like they were just there for the money. I guess the hour, you sure. know. If you don't, I mean, that's that's a never-ending well right there. Yeah, he's like, we keep them here for two or three years, and 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 I'm going through hell. Literally, it like you know, ten minutes is a lifetime when you're worrying about breathing. Sure, it's almost that's what you know. Mike Tyson's like, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face, right? And then even when you're out, the only way to to resolve some of that is to take a breath, right? It's like you didn't, couldn't get any better because you didn't even know what better was. Nothing. Like if, you, if you go underwater without taking a breath, like on the exhalation, you're going mm -hmm. down. Yeah, you can go as far. You got a long way. Right. You can do a lot of stuff, but then it, when it starts coming undone, it starts coming done quick. Quick. So when you, if, but if you build that cycle up and the the way you're doing it now, that positive, it it it's a brick by brick thing. It's like you can you can scare people into loving you, but once they're not afraid of you, then that's gone. Right. But if you if you come in on the back end, like, hey man, I just came here to bleed for you, take as much pain. You take pain for people, and they'll get out of your way. Right. That's the the respect that I the, the blessing that I have is my ability to take pain for other people because most people don't want to do it. Amen. So when you when you notice that about when you know someone will do that for you, and then they won't say anything else, it's a, it's open to I never knew that was the case because if you throw attitude on top of it, then they're like that. Ah. But if you stay humble, you know, then that's that's a. And it's hard, man. Amen. Because, you know, the fights get more intense. You ain't never been whipped, man. You ain't fighting the right people. Right. That's the only way you're going to learn something about yourself, man. And, and then when, all of a sudden, it's kind of like they keep stepping on you and stepping on you. I've been to the point where I was on my face, felt like they were jerking my back out from me. Like, I, you know, in, in, your, in your mind. Right. And then you get to the point where you're, where you're like, all right, that's just enough, right? And take that deep breath. And when you come up, it's different. Right. I, I mean, was seeking to find that other breath, like you were saying. It, it just kept eluding me. Yeah. You know, and it's like breathing, just like short breathing it your whole life. Right. That's it. You when know, did you find your breath? Um, I, it got so bad that I had forgot what it was like to not have this. I unlearned normalcy. You know what I mean? Like you have it so much that you forget what it was like to get up a day without having to struggle with this. And I had tried everything, you know, four or five years. I had kind of attacked therapy like I did the music, grind. Like, I'm going to grind real hard. You know, like I did with the music, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hustle and get my name big. Well, I tried to do that in therapy. Like, I'm going to hustle real hard. It doesn't work better. that way. It's obvious. It doesn't work yeah. that way. That's the whole point, right? <laughs> right. To slow down the grind. Right. So about fourth or fifth year in, I, I started really um, – questioning what I was ever going to get out of it. You know, the enemy's telling me this is going to be your life. Um, you know, you're mine now, and and the way your daddy struggled, this, this is what's going to happen to you. Here's where you're going to lay, and this is all you got um, forward to, you know, to look forward to is this, this type of living. And I finally started doing this one thing um, every day that changed, changed me. And changed my life and set me on, on the course to victory. And I started it out of anger and desperation, but it was the thing that unlocked everything else. So once I had stopped running to the hospital, every time I got a panic attack, instead of going, you know, you know, once a, a week, I was going once every three weeks now, four weeks. I'm still going, but not, not unless it's really bad. When these panic attacks would come on me, I would put my shoes on, walk out the door, and walk around my one-mile square block in my neighborhood and a one mile square block and 
with all this anxiety going, you know, if I, the first four or five years, I try to sit still and calm it down, which you can't because you got, it's like the, the engine is just racing in you and you're trying not to go anywhere. So when I got about four or five years in, I'm like, I got to get this energy out. So when the panic attacks would come on, I put my shoes on and I'd go out the door and walk this block to kind of get it out of me. Now, when I first thing I do when I hit the block, because I'm out there having a panic attack, is I start screaming at God at this point because I'm mad. Now the anger is starting to come out from the situation. The, the beginning part, the first four or five years, it was depression. It was guilt. It was sadness, all this stuff, right? Now I'm mad, though, because I'm like, I'm praying to you every day, Lord. I'm in church. I'm not doing what I used to do. Everybody's abandoned me. I'm alone. And, and I'm praying every single day. Are you real? Do you hear me? I pray yesterday to get better. And I'm worse today. Like, why is this happening? So I'd go out there on that block, and I would just start talking to God. The first part of the block I'm yelling and cussing at him, mad, just like, you don't care, you're not real, you know, all the different emotions. Then when I get to the end of that block, I make a left, and then all of a sudden guilt would come on. It was like a different emotion. As soon as I turned left, it was like a totally different emotion would come on me. And the guilt was, you killed your daddy. If you hadn't moved him so fast that day in the nursing home, if you'd done it slower, if you'd done something different, right, that wouldn't happen. You're a killer. And what you doing out here praying to God anyway? You should be praying to me, like, you know? And then when I get to the end of that, that uh street and make the left then it, i went completely numb and don't even remember that side it just be like shut off and i just kind of be like a zombie walking and then i come back inside the house and i do this four or five times a day every time the panic attacks would come on put my shoes on go out there and start talking to god and i know the neighbors thought i was crazy they see me out there talking and be like look we see billy out there talking to himself he done lost his mind we heard about it right there's that billy guy again here yeah. he goes but the, the thing is i really had lost my mind but in order to find yourself sometimes you have to lose yourself of course and i was losing bits and bits by me how do you know how truly happy you are unless you've been truly miserable right that's right that's right and out on that block the the struggle what, what i say now in these videos the struggle made me like they say, what's the greatest gift? It was that struggle because without it, I don't do what I'm doing now. And I had to go through it. And what I didn't realize then was the struggle I was going through at this time. I'm so self-focused, like help me, help me, help me. Not realizing the, the, the struggle wasn't about me. I needed to learn the language of the struggle in order to go out and help people going through the struggle. Like if I hadn't been through the struggle, I can't come into to a room and talk to somebody who's who's going through it. They're going to say, you don't understand me. Like we can't talk the same language. And that shuts it down right, right there. Right, it shuts it down. And, and like the rap world, I was from like, you know, there would be rappers or whatever, you know, trying to rap gangster, but they weren't from that world. And we'd be like, you don't know nothing about this world, man. Yeah. You, you know? It's like walking into a therapist who's 24. <laughs> Right. right when when, right. You, when you've been around, you right. sit down. And they they're like, "How are you gonna help me again?" Right, right. And that actually just, happened like, you're gonna too. Have to put some experience. That actually yeah. happened. I know that yeah, experience. I know, like, yeah, I'm like, man, you know, uh, I understand what you're saying to me. I read that same book. Right, I, exactly. <laughs> I need some life experience to exactly. come through with it as well, because what that does is it lends from zero to forty. You have an opinion, then your perspective sets in, and then right. you get wisdom. Exactly. Right, and then understanding all, all that. Right, so when when you're going through the, the struggle, it's like the first 40 years, darkness, right? Right. You don't look at it like anything other than the, a lesson, like class. Right. And I, people are like, well, you know, this happens. Like, well, that, the life is a lesson in itself. And you can get twisted up in it, especially when you start focusing on other people's crap. That's right. You bring that in on top of you, it just, that, that's why your world gets twisted. It's not supposed to be there. 
Like if you if you can't worry about that problem, don't worry about it. If, if you're gonna worry about it, let's solve the problem. It's not gonna be a problem anymore. Either way, you fix it. Amen. So it, it, sometimes you can. It's overthinking. I think. I sure did a lot of overthinking. <laughs> I sure did a lot of overthinking. I was out on that block and I found myself out there alone, one on one with God. I just found it. And, and when I say God, I I don't mean religion. I'm talking about relationship. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I you know, religion never freed anybody. Relationship is what does it. That's where the power is. You know, and I was out there one on one, and at this point, see, I'm in, in a state of desperation. That was the invitation that God needed. See, God's all powerful, but He needs our invitation to come in. That's what willpower, right? It's like He gives right. that to you, then right? It's like your parent, any other parent. If you right. want help? Ask for it, right? <laughs> and and you go, if you want to take care of that problem, He'll take. You can take care of it yourself, right? I, and I tried, right? I or tried you can everything. step back and let and let Him do it. I tried everything because in that world I was so used to, you know, nobody giving me anything in the music world and having to earn it, having to take it, having to grind that I didn't want to ask. You know, we're, we're like asking is weakness, you know, it's a weakness. But at this point, I think God had to rip away all those old mindsets and things like that in order to make me useful. As long as I had that pride that I was walking around with, I wasn't going to be able to come out and do what I do now. Like, I had to be removed so that he could do his thing. That's the rub, too. It's like, yeah, that pride comes in with, with other people. Right. You're talking about trying to be prideful with God and asking something, where does that even come from? Exactly. We, that don't even make sense. Right. It don't, it don't have <laughs> no place. You attitude that yeah. way. Like, yeah. yeah, you do your work. What you're supposed to do, you get taught. And that, that's that's something. Right. There is something to that. That's right. But then when you feel that, like, man, I ain't asking. I don't want to ask for nothing, you know? Like, well, that's just silly. The Bible says that God wants you to ask. I mean, it, it's, you have it's not, commanded. You yeah, not. you have to ask. Yeah. I don't ask for anything. And you have I'm to I'm the ask. world's worst at that. Right. I'm like, I got it. I'll do it. Right, right. I, I got it. I'll the macho. You know? Yeah, we, we train like that. I mean, that's how we're raised, really. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, well, I figure he's got other stuff to deal with. I'll it, just take care of mine. So he's just like, oh, you're always asking me for something. Right. You know right. what I mean? Because you feel right. like that. That's, that's, I was like, well, you have to ask and give thanks. Right. You can't just ask. Right. That, takes, and that comes with learning in life. Amen. You, I mean, you, you say that to a nine-year-old, it means it's something different to, to a 13-year-old, to a 20-year-old. It right. changes. So ultimately, what you need to know is, man, this is a journey and adventure. Have fun on it. Amen. The minute you're, you're, you're going down in the wrong place where you, you're you ruining that, then you're in the wrong place. We're talking about there's a difference between when, when you know truth and fact. Like when you walk mm -hmm. into a room and everyone's laughing, having a great time. Right. Everything, the truth is out there. You can feel it. Because you'll know when somebody says something that's not true, that even if they, they don't, they'll, they'll stop laughing. They can't help it. The body all down. <laughs> right, right. And then they'll, you know what I'm talking about? Right, right. The truth has a, has a vibration to right, it. Right, it's a tone, a vibration. Yeah. It's like you can feel the energy. So when it pipes up like that, you're just like, man, you, you yearn for a good time. But death brings it too. Death will draw a circle fast. Oh, yeah. Hate, loud, noise, and all that. It's just that curiosity and whatever drives that in. I was guilty of it too. I mean, look what I turned out to be. I mean, at that age we were at that 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 90s time frame into the 2000s man it was a huge shift mm -hmm. i was like we just got kicked off in the opposite direction 
and had a car way back. Like we you really want to belong to this family. to signing up for the military and then 9/11. Yeah, yeah, off. 20 years so, of war. Right. Yeah. Right. We were geared for it. <laughs> right. I mean, warriors, you know, born for the struggle. Amen. So you can't deny that if you know what you're made to be. That's right. That's and right. And then you get past it, you look back at it, and you're like, man, I, I say the same thing. I don't know if I could have done that. You did do it. <laughs> right. It's the identity, man. <laughs> I did identity. do it, man. I get it's it's something. It's life. It, 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 it can it can lean on you, sure it can. Because if you're not if you're not doing what it wants you to do, it'll lean on you to make you stronger. Right. Everything bad happened to me too. I, I always looked at it that, and then coming back, I was like, "Was my father bad?" Because I have a great life, and everyone seems to be happy with the way I turned out. Amen. So how could I throw one thing at him? Right. The end result is what matters, right? Yeah, I was always worried about the middle. I guess. Right. Right. <laughs> that middle ground. That middle, middle ground, ground. Right. When did you find the mic for positivity? Um. Right after that, that time I'm telling you about on the block, I got to the end of me, and finally I, I just cried out to God on the block. I said, "Look, I've tried everything that I know how to do, and it's not working. And I can't see daylight. I don't. It looks like this is gonna be the rest of my life." And I said, "If you don't heal me, I'm done." And I know that I've tried everything. I'm exhausted. Like yeah, like if I don't know if you've ever in your life felt this way, but. I was completely emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually done. Like there wasn't an ounce left in me. And I said, Lord, I, I don't have anything left to fight, nothing. I said, if you don't heal me, I'm done. And I don't have anything to give you. Because at this point in time, my money's gone. The friends are gone. Um, everything around me has been ripped. The business, the name, music, all of that is gone. It's just me and God out there. And I said, you know, I was like, if you don't heal me, I'm done. And I ain't got nothing to give you but this. If you heal me, this is the deal I, I made with God. If you heal me, I'll go out and tell him who did it. That's it. And that was the invitation right there. And I think God was waiting on me to say, please come in. You know, please come in. And a couple days later, after I had, had made that deal, um, my mother calls me and she says, son, you know, you're beating yourself up and you're killing yourself, you know, with the guilt and the, the, the depression and all that. You're killing us. I hate to see you like this. She's like, will you do something for me? She said, will you go get a punching bag, put it up in the backyard and beat out some of that frustration? Because I was beating myself up on the inside. She's like, you got to get that out or it's going to it's going to hurt you. So I did what she said. Went and got the bag, got the, you know, got some new set of gloves, went out there in the back like Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, right, bouncing around. This was the first time, though, I'd ever got my heart up racing because I never did after my dad died, you know, was struggling with breathing. I always made sure I was even keel because I was like, if I get too, you know, excited, I might have a heart attack, right? It's just something mental. So I'm out there and I bounce around. I hit the bag twice. I go boom, boom. Panic attack because I got my heart racing. So I run back inside. Nobody's at home at this point. About to go to the emergency room again because it's really bad mentally. So I call my mom on the phone and I'm like, I just want to let you know I'm going to the emergency room. Just want you to know where I'm going because nobody's home. I'm having a heart attack. Blah, blah, blah. I'm telling her all this stuff. And at this point in time, she knew I wasn't having a heart attack because I, I had these so much. She knew. So she did what a, a, a good mama should do at this time. She yelled at me. 
<laughs> she did. Like, I'm talking to her, and I'm like, Mom, I'm going to the hospital, going to the hospital. And, and, and she says, Billy! She yells at me, right? She said, you go back out there and hit that bag right now. And I'm like, going into my story, like, Mama, you don't understand. Nobody gets it. The therapists don't get it. The doctors don't get it. You don't get it. The wife don't get it. Nobody gets it. She yelled at me again, Billy! You go back out there and hit that bag right now. And I'm like, mama, you don't understand. Nobody gets it. I'm trying, but nobody gets it. And she's like, well, I'll make a deal with you. You can go to the hospital after you hit that bag, but you're going to go hit that bag. <laughs> I didn't raise no quitter, right? She's like, I didn't raise no quitter. You're not a quitter. You're not going to quit with me. And I'm arguing her all the way out, but I'm going back out to the bag because you got to do what mama says, sure. right? <laughs> so I'm all the way telling her my you know, pity story, poor me. All of that, all the way out to the bag. And I get out there, and she's like, are you there? And I'm like, yeah. She said, well, hit the bag. So, you know, I hit it. It's kind of like halfway. She's like, you can hit better than that. I hear you. Hit the bag. Make it pop. <laughs> like she, she was one of the ones that trained me, you know, back in the day. So I hit it a few times. Hit it a few times. I'm talking to her. And then I switch hands, right? I'm still talking to her. <laughs> but I had turned around, see, and done a 180 from running to the hospital and came back out to the bag, right? So... By about three or four or five of those punches, like like you said, I began to find that warrior on the inside. And I said, okay, my mom will call you back. And I stayed out there and just hit that bag for 30 minutes till my knuckles were bloody. was the first time in five years that I had stood up to the panic attacks. The first time, it was like the, the bully had got my lunch money for five years. Mm -hmm. And one day I was like, not today, right? My mama helped me turn me back around and said, you gonna fight the bully today? And I beat it. So I was like one win and 10,000 losses. But I had a one, like I had <laughs> one win, all right? And I knew like, okay, the, the enemy can be beat. Like, it was kind of like Mike Tyson when he was 31 old. Nobody thought, you know, he could be beat. But once he got that first loss, it was like four or five beat him later because they thought it was possible, right? And at this point in time, I didn't think it was possible to beat the panic attacks, but now I knew different. Sure. So the next time that came on, I'm like, the, the bully's coming to me. I want your lunch money. I'm like, well, we're going to have to fight today, <laughs> right? Like, I started to fight back. Now, it took two and a half years for me to get back full function. So I might just win two or three hours a day that day. You know, fight it back, and then I'd have like like let's say I got up at you know eight or eight or nine in the morning, I'd win till twelve or one o'clock. I'd have normalcy a little bit. And then at one o'clock, I'd have a panic attack. But I won the front of the day, so I'm like, okay, I won a little bit. So every day, I got up and tried to win a little bit more territory and little take a little bit more of my life back. And finally, um, you know, I got it to where I could go back out and and do some some full function, and. Also, after I had said that prayer and, and made that commitment to God, God sent me the right therapist. I've been trying to do it on my own, doing my own thing. He finally sent me the right one. And, and Travis, my uh, therapist there, he was young, like you said. He was in his 30s at the time. But the man was really, really passionate about healing and therapy. 
Right, he had just got out of school, maybe six months, something like that when I got into it. But he was really, really passionate. Mm-hmm. And I had a strong why. I'm trying to get better. So I was like, <laughs> when I went in there first, I'm like, well, you know, you're a lot younger than the other guys I've seen. And you're from this college, not Harvard and Yale. But I was like, you're passionate about what you do. And you actually care. I can tell you care about me. And I was like, and I want to get better. Those are winning ingredients. We can figure it out. Yeah. You know, so we got in there for, you know, two years. And we, every week, we would just get it in and, and deal with the stuff that I needed to deal with. And he taught me techniques that helped me get my life back. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of crazy because he was kind of the first one to to say, you know, pastor. He's like, hey, pastor, when I'd come into therapy. And I'm like, I don't know, pastor. I don't know, pastor. I'd, I'd bring my Bible with me everywhere I go. Now, I was bringing this with me because... I'm fighting for my life. I'm not trying to be the past. I'm just like, Lord, I need you. Right? This is what I'm bringing this with me. This is like a sword, right? So he was the first one to, to kind of speak that over my life about um, being a motivational speaker. But he had put in me um, a seed. Now, when I'd go see him, we'd have a, have a great session and, and I would get hope, you know, as I'm there with that hour. But when the hour's over... Then I'm like, oh, I got six days and 23 hours before I'm going to see you again. How am I going to make it till I get back in here, right? Like, what about Bob? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that movie? Yeah, yeah, I'm like, how am I going to you know, make it to get back in here? So he, he was the first one to plant to see them. He's like, this is what I want you to do. Go on YouTube and look for some positive material, positive thinking, motivation, stuff like this. And when you start to panic, get in, you know, anxiety, I want you to listen to this stuff. And see, he, he was preparing me for the call, and God was using that right there to put me on this path. And I didn't even know it. I'm just trying to get through the day to breathe. But now I'm, I'm moving one step closer and closer to my calling and don't even realize it. See, and, and me and Travis got to build a, a great relationship, and he started teaching me about the power of the mind and how it worked and all the stuff that I teach now when I go out to the seminars and stuff. I learned right there, you know, in therapy. And I would not have learned that had I not went through the struggle and, and, and been sent on this trajectory. So years later, I'm asking God now, I'm, I'm still going out on the block every day doing my walk, but not because of panic. He brought me through it, and I'm just out there thanking him now. I didn't, I didn't stop going on the block once I got my healing. I'd go out there and say, you know, Lord, thank you. You heard me. I know you're real. Now, now what do you want me to do? Now he had my attention. So I'd go out there every day and I'd be like, you know, what's my calling? What's my calling? Because, you know, in music, I always got up every single day and knew exactly my identity. I knew exactly who I was and what I was here to do and what I was going to do that day. But after getting out of music, I didn't have that anymore. It was just like this big Especially void. Especially in that time, because you got to wake up and get pissed off. Yeah. Or you're always pissed off. I mean, you can sing about it, right? Right, right. Which you're supposed to get it off your chest. Right. When you're singing for... The- for the enemy. Right, yeah. Yeah. So I got up every day. I didn't know what to do. And the crazy thing about it was, you know, I had stopped rapping when my dad died, but I never got rid of my studio. It was still in the in my, in my living room in my house. I had a microphone sitting dead in the middle hanging about height, my, my head height almost, um, in the middle of the living room. It had been there for seven, eight years, just sitting there. Now, every morning... I'd get up to go out for my walk. I'd, you know, I'd put my shoes on, kind of be looking down, and I'd start walking to the door, and I would literally bump into the mic in my head. It hit me in the head like this. I'm like, man. And I'd move the mic. Get the temperature out of the way. <laughs> right. the I would move the mic away, go outside, and ask God what my calling was. Yeah. I'd say, what's my calling? Right. Why you won't tell me what my calling Most is? Most people don't pick that up. 
It's like they were doing those big, big signs. Like, yeah. give me some kind of sign that hit you here right in the I, head with I'm it. And then I'd come <laughs> back inside from the walk and right. be looking down because you know, I'd kind of be depressed coming back in. And I'd bump into the mic again. I did this for years, like two years before I realized the mic. I mean, the mic. Yeah. You know, Finally, I'm out there on the block one day and, and God moved on my spirit. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm tired. Put me in, coach. Like, I'm ready now, <laughs> right? Use me. And finally, in my spirit, it was like, remember those YouTube videos? And I was like, hmm. And I started thinking back because when, when Travis had initially put me onto the, the YouTube, I would a lot of times critique the, the motivational stuff I was hearing, like a like a music producer and a songwriter. I'd be like, well, I would have done this different, or I would have changed that, or I would have done different music, you know, like a, a producer's, you know, um, mindset. So it came to me, it's like, remember those YouTube videos? And I was like, okay, I wonder how I would sound, you know speaking doing that kind of stuff not rap but just speaking I'm like how would I sound so I went back to the studio and I said I'm just gonna test it out you know so I did did a did one message I think I put a Drake beat on in it I think it was energy it, it, I put it on it was an instrumental I, and I get on there and I just kind of freestyle a positive message on faith or something like that just kind of talking off my head to see what my voice would sound like just normal speaking over material so I listened to it from a music producer standpoint, I was like, okay, that'll work. I just need to practice. I need to mold my craft. I need to study and develop it. But I've got the, you know, the the tools there. I just need to, to mold the craft now. So from 2017, January on, every single week, from then on, I haven't missed a week. Every single week I put out a, a motivational message on YouTube. Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, oh, wow. I, will, I will drop a message. I think we're like 250-something messages out oh my gosh every single week isn't goggins on one of them like, oh yeah well there's like the picture oh, yeah. there's, there's like a, a video of goggins or something yeah, yeah. on people do mashups yeah they like all mix the time. it yep. some are pretty good oh, yeah. is good. some of them guys got some pretty good talent out there man when they mash the way they, they run together it's like a, oh yeah the remix or whatever especially with with who they put in there i have no idea who this guy is he sounds like a guru when he's talking about his real low tone real like it takes him a minute to get one word out he's like yeah you know, that kind of guy. Then you come in afterwards, and there's a little bit of Denzel, and then the Rock's always in there, right? Oh yeah. And you got Goggins <laughs> screaming at you, telling you, yeah, yeah, hate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with him. I don't have any choice. I have to love him. Amen. Part of me. <laughs> but I, I, I started those videos in in 2017, and about three or four months in, I had a grand total of 50 subscribers, and most of them were mom and, and the family, right? Church. Right, yeah, like the mom and the family, you know, and I remember putting out videos and and at this point, like I was telling you earlier, you don't know who's listening on the other side. We don't really get the info from that. You just see a, you know, that you've had a view, but you don't really know if they're listening to it, liking it, or if it's resonating, stuff like that. And um, I remember I used to get a notification and be like, like, oh, somebody left a comment. <laughs> like you know, it was a big yeah. deal. Like, oh, so I run, man, I'd run to YouTube and it would be mom with a thumbs up. You know, <laughs> it'd be my. I go on Wednesday, get another one. It'd be Aunt Linda. Like you know, what I mean, I'm just like, oh, like you know, I was. Hey, I was, hey it starts with them. It starts, it starts with, with them. them. That's right, it man. Starts if with family's them. not even throwing in at then 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 you're in trouble. It literally started because of her. Right. She's right. the one that kicked your butt yeah, out right. there. To go out there, hit, hit that the bag. bag. Hit that bag. See, I learned from that bag that, you know, to go to the next level sometimes in life, you got to get in the ring with the thing that scares you the most. And I had to fight those panic attacks in order to do what I'm doing today. First, I had to beat that beast, you know. And around 
April and 17, I was kind of on the verge, to be honest, I was kind of on the verge of, of quitting. Because I had this dream and ambition and, you know, God started putting a vision in me, like, you know, go out and do the speaking and all this. And um, But at this point in time, I hadn't had any victories in almost 10 years since music. Like, everything I'd done financially, for some reason, just failed. Like, before my dad died, everything I did succeeded. I mean, I could, I'd trip over money. I wouldn't, I, I would accidentally make money. Like, man, I didn't mean to do that, but I made a bunch of money. Like, it, anything yeah. I did would work. But then as soon as my dad died, it was like everything I tried, the most guaranteed stuff would fall apart. Like, I mean, nothing worked. So, at this point, I'm doubting me. I forgot who I am. All I remember is this panic guy, you know, that, that's been going through anxiety, that's broken, beaten, and really, really unsure of himself. I'm not the one I was before my daddy died at this point in time. And a friend tried to intervene and, and meant well. Like a lot of times people around us will mean well, but not necessarily. They're not doing what. We need at that moment or what God's trying to get us to do. They're actually the enemies using them to try to deter that. And they have good intentions. They're trying to help us, but maybe they're not really helping us. Right. And I had a friend come to me one day and they're like, you really believe all that stuff you're saying on those videos? See, the enemy was trying to get me to doubt what I was doing. And at this point in time, I was, I was questioning it myself. Like, well, why is this stuff not working? And, you know, and. We got into a kind of heated a heated argument, cause I inside I'm really to be honest I'm a group I really felt like they like they were saying, but I didn't want to give up, so there was a war going on and they, they were like why don't you get a nine to five like everybody else you've always been a dreamer you know fairy tales and da 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 cause they didn't remember the one I was before, so we're having this you know heated debate or whatever and I finally get frustrated and I I get mad and I go into my studio, and I'm hot. I'm at like the crossroad, right? Now on the left is, you know, the fairy tale. Just give up. Do the nine to five. Be the, you know, give up on the dream. Be the sheep, the herd. Do like everybody else in the world. You know, just accept the, the, the life of mediocrity, right? Just stop dreaming. And on the right was God's plan. You know, the world is yours. You know, with God, all things is possible. You're the head and not the tail, above, not below. You're living in the nations, not borrowed. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come, blessed when you go. This is on the right, but I've got to choose. Now, my world physically reflects this side of the road. Mm -hmm. The dream is on this side of the road. So do I buy into what I see or what God has promised? And I'm at this crossroad and the enemy's pulling me, God is pulling me. And I'm, I've got to make a decision, though, right here because I'm about to give up. Inside, I'm just done. And I remember going into the studio that day, putting on some music. And at this point in time, I needed to speak to me. I was about to give up. So I needed to speak directly to me. And sometimes we have to remind us, ourselves, we have to remind us and the world who we really are. Right? So I put on some music, had no intention of really putting it out on YouTube. I'm just trying to save me at this moment. And I get in front of that mic, no script, anything, and I say, I was born a champion. <laughs> Raised a champion. <laughs> I got champion in my bloodline. All I ever be is a champion, right? Like I started just saying this powerful stuff that my mom used to tell me. My dad, yeah, I sleep. Right, right. Like all of that. Yeah. All of that. Like I'm just trying to remember who I am. Like trying to get back in that skin that I used to have on. And 
there was no script. And, and even on that uh, message, you'll hear me vocalize what the friend was saying. You really believe all that stuff you're saying? And then I'll answer them back with the word. And they'll say, why don't you get a nine to five like every Those were real conversations and the real stuff that was going on in my mind. I just captured it and put it right into the mic, unfiltered, and just said, this is you know what I'm feeling right now. So I didn't expect nothing about it because remember, I only got 50 people, 50 subscribers, mom and the fam. And I, I put it out that week, just put the message out. And all of a sudden, um, some big motiva motivational channels got a hold of it. They had millions of followers, reached out to me and said, can we use it? And I said, yeah, run with it. Next thing I know, it went viral. Millions, millions and millions and millions of views started going everywhere. And man, God just poured that fuel and lighter fluid and, and put me in position to go out and tell the world who had healed me. See, I had made that deal with him and I kept saying, okay, I made the deal with you. Go out and tell him who did it. And I'm thinking local, like two or three people, I'm going to tell that God him. <laughs> God had bigger plans, you know? And and I, I was getting frustrated, but I, I really, looking back at it, I shouldn't because I made that deal that I was going to tell him who did it. So it's his job to put me in position to do that. So I didn't need to even worry about that. He was going to make sure that happened. And he did. He put, he put um, the messages in the right hands with the right people. And, um, man, everything started taking off. My book that I had written in 2016, before I was even speaking, God had put the vision in me for my book, Blessed and Unstoppable. So when, when the videos went viral, next thing you know, the Comes back around. book started selling all over the, you know, all over the world. So um, it was just amazing to see how God intervened all along the way, molded and shaped a, a broken um, tour person like me that made a million mistakes and um, put me back on my feet and reminded me, you know, who, who I was. And, and I also realized the, the principles that I was tapping into um, that set everything in motion too, because God works by way of principle. And as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, about what we speak comes alive, right? Well, when I got behind that mic, I declared it finally. I said, you know, death and life and the power of the tongue. Those that love it shall eat the fruits thereof, right? So I speak, I'm born a champion, raised a champion. And I articulated in such a way and had faith behind what I was actually saying in that moment, right? It opened every single door that I, it got me here today. Like you mentioned that thing there. Had I not stepped up to the mic and, 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 and bought into God's principle then, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. So, man, it's amazing to see... Like, you know, this and stuff goes in quick. real time. Yeah. It's like the struggle part. Is, it's imagine you're sitting on that cog or that wheel, right? And it's kind of right. ticks like that. Well, then it, when you come back Whoa. around to it, yeah. man, you're set. It's like swimming into the breach, right? And as soon as you look down that barrier, you're like, all right, stand by, right? And right. I mean, it just starts flowing. Yeah, like a, man. You, a wave building around you at night that you couldn't see. Right. Until you got to shore. That's right. And when that sucker comes crashing in, you're like, wow, you built up all that? Yeah, you did. God is, it's a spiritual wave, man. That tsunami. Yeah. God had built that and just, you know, went way beyond. Because once you kick out, that's what people go. I mean, that's your energy. That's that's yeah. your existence, is your work. Right. Period. Did you hear Marcus on Rogan? Or yeah, somebody, I heard him on Lisa. I was born a Texan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A Texan. yeah man. I was like, he's probably hoping a man. No, no, like, no oh, man. What I was, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I didn't know if. Um, Maybe someone sent it to you or if you were listening to Rogan. Oh, yeah. Somebody had sent it to me and, and, and uh, man, I got such a good kick out. I was like, man, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, my, my stepdad, he's a big uh, Longhorn fan in Texas. And we always um, go back and forth, you know, Alabama and Texas. Sure. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and I said, well, he's going to love what Latrell said. I'm born in Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've, man, I love the Tide, too, man. I, I got a chance when I 
He spoke to the... There's a couple of teams that I speak to on a regular basis. I got into speaking on a whimsical, too. Just a guy kind of said something to me, and I was like, ah, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's not what I turned out but to be. But he married an, an LSU Tiger, so... Uh-oh. Yeah, like generations of them. So there's yeah. tigers running around here. Mm-hmm. My brother's a Longhorn. <laughs> I'm a Bearcat. I mean, so there's that's Maggie even, outside. That's even more complicated what our coach used to be right. LSU, too, right? And it's not just Alabama. I know, right? Right. Oh, it's, man, it's like it's, it's a... Yeah. We're much around. There's it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pound out here. There's all kinds of animals <laughs> running around, dude. Yeah. Every college known to man. Kara uh, went to A and M, so yeah, we have all the all the rivals around here. That's so funny. Well, I love your story. I think it's so amazing. And are you still having a good time with this? Amen. All day, every day. This is what I was designed to do. Right, man. You know, there's times that I really feel on fire and alive is in those times when I'm behind this mic and when I got a pencil or a pen in my hand and I'm writing I love to write which you know poetry books and um you know lyrics rhymes speeches whatever I, I just love creating something you know from you know something from nothing like it's in here and you're spiritual and then you, you know you take it and you put it down on paper and then you come here on mic and give it life and the next thing you know everybody else is able to you know connect or enjoy it or listen to what's going on and ascribe a god right yeah man. Scribe. god is good god how is do you good. how do people book you for things um they can reach you know straight out to me like on every one of my videos that uh that i put out i have the booking number right there at the top but um Right now, God had put it in, in in my heart like about six months before COVID happened to go out into all the world, right? Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. So I I uh, set up my own speaking tour. You know, we went to 40 major major cities in the United States, the biggest cities, booked the venues ourselves. And because of the videos, you know, having so many views and being in front of so many eyes that um, we started filling up the venues. That's so awesome. And I really like it because um, doing these types of uh, events that that uh, I'm in control of, I can say whatever God puts in my heart. I don't have to go get clearance, mm-hmm. you know, from, from this person or CEO or see what the political opinion is. Oh, you already got is. your clearance. Yeah. Don't you know, that, that's it. That's you know if you're in the wrong spot, things will be in your way. Right, right. God we is good. We did the same thing on a military side uh we booked all the venues and went all yes. around the united states and we called it patriot tour amen and we brought on hit the um, old theaters in the town in uh, the big cities found them yeah yes. like all the the real old, old um antique kind of theaters it was really neat um we've probably hit i don't know how many cities but every was, one of them <laughs> yeah a lot <laughs> at least lot. some of them twice yeah now. over yeah. several man, years from our out, to our last one was 2019 <laughs> Um, we didn't do it during COVID, but um, we went every year, and it was... It was a blast, man. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. We got to meet... It's so neat. To me, behind the scenes mm-hmm. is what is the most special. Right. Yes, you're touching people in the audience, but what happens... There's somebody behind the scenes that you meet or that um, that you hear about that it changed their life. That is what kept us going. Right. Um, it was just... It was a really incredible experience. Go out and make a million memories. Save a dollar from yeah. me, right? Yeah. You know, I love that part of it, interacting with the people and getting to hear their side of it, their stories. And their and, towns. Yeah. They, to see, you it's know. a different world, right? To see their world and see what they're, they've gone through and overcame and how God has moved. And and hopefully that in some kind of way the, the videos or the messages or the books have impacted them. I, I mean, that's what I live for now. It's like, 
you know, I, I've written that headstone, you know, like I, I went back and said, okay, what I want on a headstone and, and uh, here lies a man that set the world on fire with truth and impacted one billion people. That's my my headstone right there. That's my goal. Yes, blessed unstoppable, blessed unstoppable. That's right. Blessed unstoppable. One of our good friends, Dakota Meyer. He's a Marine Medal of Honor recipient, and his he has a business called Own the Dash. Right. And right. It's living. That's that right. Middle part, like what mm -hmm. what people are gonna when you were telling that story about you're gonna lay right here. Mm -hmm. Here's where you gonna lay. Yeah, this is where you're gonna lay. Like that's what you have to really live, and and to where somebody else can speak truth and write it on your headstone. Yeah, that was such a big lesson that funeral home. You know, I go out and teach that that message everywhere. Um, I had read this article about this famous author. Every book this man put out was a bestseller. So they were doing this interview and they asked him, like, what, what's your creative process? How are you able to continue to put out high quality product like this? You know, what's your creative um, ways? And he said, well, what I do first is I write the last chapter of my book. That way I will always know where I'm going to end up in the story. And it clicked. That funeral home was the last chapter. That is the last page of the book. Here lies a man or woman that did what? That dash, right? That's it. So I realized I needed to, to, to write that end destination, the, the where I'm going to go. I need to write that first. So I'm living every day, getting up, living with intention. And I know exactly where I'm going and what I'm trying to accomplish. And most people, um, they're just getting up, going through the motions, hoping to stumble onto something. Like, I hope I stumble onto success or stumble onto fulfillment or whatever. And don't even know that they're behind the wheel. They can control which um, direction that their life takes, the trajectory. And the, the one thing that I, I learned from studying all the greats is they live with intention. You know, like, for instance, Elon Mars, he knows, OK, I'm going to Mars. Right. Twenty twenty five. We I mean, that's it. He gets up every day. It's Mars. It's Mars. He knows exactly what he's here for. Right. And every day they're putting the starship together and like another part gets discovered to make them go there. Right. Your purpose. Right. They know exactly what it is they want. So I realized, you know, from that that traumatic moment, that was one of the greatest moments of my life. Wasn't the, wasn't the hap like, you know, on the outside or, or the inside, it wasn't the happiest, but it was one of the most profound um, turning points of my life was going to that funeral home. And that man saying, what do you, you know, what do you want to write on daddy's um, headstone and obituary? So I realized I needed to get that. And it took me years to figure out what I wanted to actually, you know, feel and accomplish and do in life. But once I did, man, it was like you walk with a different walk. You get up with a different power behind you. You know why you're here and what it's all about. And and people can feel that, you know, you know, if you walk in a room and you're unsure, you're sending that vibe off like, eh, he don't really know what he's doing. But you come in, you're like, man, I, there's something different about him. You know, uh, I heard a wise man say one time that the, the one in the room with the most clarity commands the room. No matter what the role or position, the one that comes in and knows what he is and who he is and why he is, that person will lead the room eventually. And, and when we get behind the wheel and decide what we want our life to be about, make that decision, uh, we begin to define ourselves. And name ourselves because the world most of the time names people. We can either adopt that identity or our own. And from my life, I had to, to get back and adopt the true identity, 
which was the champion. And not sports. You know, when I say champion, right. I'm not talking about sports. We're talking about champion of life. Life. Mm -hmm. and, and and what's a champion? It's it's not the person who never gets beat. It's the one that gets beat, gets knocked down, everybody writes off, and the world says it's all over, and that person gets up anyway. That's a champion. And that never so, quits. Right. So I wanted to, to make that my identity. So whatever life throws at me, I remember like, oh, this is who you are. It doesn't matter what life throws because it's who you are. It's not what happens to you, but it's who you are when it happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... and it was time to get behind the wheel. And um, I made that decision, defined it, and um, it's been off to the races. God is good. That is amazing. God is good. We're so keep, proud of yeah. you. And... Keep going, man. I, I, yeah. I, you've affected so many people. Me too. I mean, I, I, I have the hardest time saying this out loud to another man. <laughs> I know. He has a very hard time complimenting other men. I, you have inspired him. Yeah, Let I mean, just great, say great, it. Great, great, man, man, I appreciate yeah, guys, you, guys, I appreciate you. I just, and, I and you read, man. Doing that. I, don't I read know your story, is. too, man. You, man, it's just just <laughs> as much over here on my side, man. <laughs> he can't say it. I'm going to say can't, it for him. Uh, you I'm really, really inspired Thank you, man. Just do it. Thank you. But you're an inspiration to us, too, man. I mean, I read your story. It's amazing, man. I appreciate that. I'm a survivor. Amen. <laughs> That's what we do, right? Amen. You struggle, man. You got there, there has to be. If you don't think there's good guys in hell, uh, you got to stick them down there so people have some hope. That's right. <laughs> right. We don't run from hell. We bring heaven but, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I came down with it. it. That's how we That's roll. That's right. We bring heaven to mm -hmm. it. Right. I have to say, um, I know how it feels to see your your death plot. Mm. So, which most young people don't right. see, they don't ever think about that. Right. But we were given an right, opportunity mine. to have um, two plots next to each other. Um, this was a few years ago. Um, it's a little bizarre. It's a little crazy. Mm. But right. he's supposed to go with me, so we can pick this out together. And it's in Austin, so we get there. It's at the Texas State Cemetery, which is a very special place to be buried. And um, his friend, uh, fellow warrior Chris Kyle, is buried there. And... I, we go to Austin, and his friend calls him and says, hey, they were going to go hunting. And he's like, let's leave early. So I had to go by myself to mm. pick out this our final resting spots. And I'm like, wait, I have to do this by myself? I don't like talking about death. He's okay right. talking about death, but it freaks me out. I want to live, like, I want to be over 100 years old when I die. I want to see my great-grandkids yeah. Maybe my great-great-grandkids, I want to live a long, healthy, happy life. He doesn't mind talking about it. I'm like, why do I get stuck picking out our death plot? So I'm videoing these spots, sending it to him like, is this one okay? Is this one okay? I was like, lay down. And see, it's like, is it <laughs> yeah, feel comfortable now? I was, like, like, I was like, man, this is lay down. Yeah, he said, do we fit? I was like, do we fit in there? I was like, is there a tree? Uh, oh, my goodness. So more. I was oh like, I get to lay. I was like, what a great honor! I'm like, I'm not. I get lay for eternity, you know, it, my body right there over next to my wife in Texas State Cemetery. But I have to pick it out by myself. And so I ended up. Picking and he's trying to pick out the curtains in the, the house, man. For the rest of you know what I'm talking about? He's gonna be picking <laughs> up. If I'd have picked it out, she's like, oh, this is terrible. I don't want to know. Right? I end up picking a spot that has this big, huge oak tree. It's beautiful, and at the as of right now, there's nothing, no other uh, plots that have been um, picked around it, but it's right across the sidewalk from his friend, Chris. So mm. I sent his wife, Taya, she's a great friend of ours. I sent her a message. I'm like, hey, 
we're going to be buddies for life. <laughs> like yeah. after life, we're going to be laying across the sidewalk from wow. each other <laughs> forever. So we always joke about that, that we're final resting. It's a little weird. Should we put, 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 put up a headstone? Just leave the last date yeah. off? People are like, oh, he's already here. <laughs> but it was a very surreal moment. Yes. Realizing like, okay, well, that is where our ending is. You spend enough time with death, you He's more get comfortable familiar. than I am. I'm not okay. Closest to my heart. Questions will take you wherever you want to go. You just got to ask the right question. And the question that got me was, what do you want your legacy to be? Yeah. When you're dead and gone, what do you want to be remembered for? And that's how we need, whatever the answer is to that, that's how we need to live every single day. Get up and live like that. Yeah, when someone speaks your name, right? What do they say? That's right. Well, thank you for yeah, what a blessing, man. to God Appreciate and it. telling people who healed you and Amen. keep spreading the word and it'll come back tenfold. I appreciate you. It's an honor to be here with, with all of you, man. Thank you for having me. Here. How do people find your, like your YouTube, your Instagram, um, all that kind of stuff? It's at Billy Allsbrooks. It's my name, all, all the social media. Um, and then my, my personal website is blessedandunstoppable.com. So okay. but any of the social media, you can always you know find me by my name, at And they Billy can buy Allsbrooks. your book on your website. Yeah, on the um, website and Amazon. And Amazon. Either way. Bl- we can patch that. Yeah, we'll patch that through. On our- I appreciate that. How man. many more stops do you have on the tour? Um, I think there's 15, 16 oh, wow. this year. Still and, get tickets? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Perfect. yeah. We always, if we have to make the room bigger or we have to we'll get the it. exit, we do it. We'll do what we can. Wherever it, God tells us to go. Do you have any in Texas? Um, I'll be back in San Antonio. In San Antonio. Um, we just did Dallas and we did Houston earlier um, in the year. Uh, um, Dallas this weekend. Well, yeah, I didn't. San Antonio. I'm yeah. sorry, I missed that one. Yeah, we'll be in, we'll be in um, San Antonio October 3rd, I believe. October okay. 3rd. We'll nice. be we got back a crew here out there too, man. We got, we got yeah. a crew out in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. Perfect. We'd love to have you there, man. I'll talk love to our kids' school about maybe have it privately hiring you to come out and speak to the high schoolers or something. Okay. That would be really Yeah, I spoke cool. at uh, Monahan's. I don't know if you know where that is in West Texas. Yeah. The, the start the school year off um, last year, I spoke to all the teachers and then oh, all the uh, the athletes. I spoke to them afterwards, but they they were like the only school district at that time. This was August last year. They were the only one actually meeting. Like there yeah. was three hundred in a room. They were they were believers, man. I I said that's some warriors right there. That's awesome. That's some warriors. Well, if this episode fired you up, make sure you share it with a friend. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your episodes. You can get them. We drop them every single Wednesday. And we can't wait to see you guys again next week. Later. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.